Still, use your head, will you? It's a B-7. You'll get mangled. I'm not going to let you do it. I'm going to... You're going to help me. Or I'm going to beat your brains out. You'll get killed, Steele. Then I will. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation about uh, season five, episode one, in praise of Pip. Uh, I do have to throw up a uh, mea culpa here. I originally, um, you know, upload the episode, but I only uploaded the first twenty four minutes. So you guys might have been like, "Hey, that's a short episode," but you didn't talk about in praise of Pip. Well, have no fear. It's been re-uploaded. Everything's correct um, there now. Uh, also, Terry pointed out that I, I had titled originally Season 4, Episode 1, because I guess I just want to keep reliving Season 4 over and over again. So, mistakes were made. They were on me. The episode's up in full now, so hopefully when you guys get to this one, you'll check your podcast players and see that, hey, look, it's not 24 minutes. It's like an hour and 40 minutes. And then at that point, I hope you enjoyed our conversation about Praise of Pip, which I thought was a great episode. Yeah, it's a great episode, and I, I'm uh, I'm really excited to have been talking about it and that. So hopefully you guys will take the time, take a step back, and check that episode out. Um, it was a good conversation, I think. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so we're now getting into uh, Season 5, Episode 2, Steel. Uh, air date was uh, October 4th, 1963. Uh, number one song is Still Blue Velvet by Bobby Vinton. I realized last week, I was like, yeah, we're familiar with that song. Yeah, because freaking Dennis Hopper is saying a line from the movie Blue Velvet in the intro to our show. So, of course, we're familiar with this song. Uh, number one film. Uh, Terry, have you heard of a film called Dementia 13? I have not. What's that about? Uh, so Dementia 13, glad you asked, because I clearly I know about this, a.k.a. the Internet. Uh, known in the United Kingdom as The Haunted and The Hunted is a 1963 independently made uh, black and white horror thriller film written and directed by Francis Ford Coppola and produced by Roger Corman. Um, it was released in the United States by AIP uh, during the fall of 63 as the bottom half of a double feature with Corman's ex, the, uh, the man with the X-ray eyes. Oh, all right. Yeah, cool. Uh, let's check it out, man. <laughs> yeah, I saw, Next the tra- movie night. I saw the trailer and here's also a description written uh, for the film here. Shocked by the death of her spouse, a scheming widow hatches a bold plan to get her hands on the inheritance, unaware that she is targeted by an axe wielding murderer who lurks in the family's estate. What mercy, what mercy, what mystery shrouds the noble house? 
Um, yeah, I, I've heard the name of this before, and I didn't realize this was. Uh, I believe this is Coppola's second film, but you know, this guy went on to make The Godfather, right? So that we always kind of find these guys that um, some of them rise through genre making to end up getting their big break. So yeah, the the trailer looks spooky and. This seems like this is something that should have been on our collective radar a long time ago. Yeah, and it's it's uh, the spooky time of year. It's uh, it's October, so uh, let's uh, let's uh, dive into this kind of stuff. So I'm excited to look into that one a little bit more. Nice. So, all right, uh, for day and date for this for Friday the fourth, uh, Texas Governor uh, John Connolly met with President Kennedy to agree upon the plans for Kennedy's trip to Texas for fundraising. Um, that which would happen in November. So they actually set up the route for uh, his uh, Texas fundraising event that would actually happen. That would result in uh, the day in which he was assassinated. So that's a bummer to, to say that, but that's what happened this day. And then also the sixth um, surf music. I like the head its own heading on Wikipedia performed primarily in Southern California, you know, which there is surf uh, received its first nationwide American television exposure with Dick Dale and the Deltones appearing on the Ed Sullivan show. That was the one note that I found from this, uh, this week that I was super excited to share. Cause I like a lot of like rockabilly and um, like surf music as well. So like that was, I was super excited about that one. Yeah, and also, again, uh, speaking to the intro to our show, the the main twangy guitar you hear is from a band called the, what was it, the Moon Trekkers, and if I remember right, it's been a while since I put that together, uh, and they did a lot of cool, like, garagey sounding, um, like, kind of surfy, uh, garagey type stuff, so... I would, uh, the, 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 the actual song that we use for the strange highways, you know, in the second half is called night of the vampire. Everybody should check it out. There's some cool stuff there. And surf music is either a lot of fun or annoying as hell to me. And I don't like there. It's just, it's a very thin line of like, man, this is cool. Or I just stop. You can stop now. It's more of like, know your roots. So surf can be really fun. And, but if I, you know, like somebody like myself, like I like a lot of obscure Halloween music in that. So the rockability, rockability and, um, psychability comes from that. So I, I trend to check out my roots. So well, I and like then, surf music. Yeah. Like the ventures, the safaris, like, yeah, all that. Right. But yeah, this was like the, you know, the times were changing. Surf music was coming. The wave was coming. Right. So. Uh, yeah, that's all I got for Dan Date. So let's just get into um, uh, cast and crew and, and all that stuff. All right. So our director on this episode is Don Weist. Um, Weist, I'm sorry. Uh, his only uh, Twilight Zone episode, but uh, he worked on some of the Alfred Hitchcock Presents, a few episodes of Batman, and then 57 episodes of Ironside, and he did the uh, the TV movie, The Munster's Revenge. Yeah, I figured you would have a note about that. So that was in 1981. Uh, I didn't get the Ironside connection, but he, he he directed a film in 66 called The Ghost in the Invisible Bikini. I mean, that sounds like uh, you're just saving money on your effects budget, but budget right there where it's like, it's a ghost. I can't see it. It's in that invisible bikini. I still can't see it. You know, whatever. It's like, quick, get the surf rock, you know, <laughs> like just get that going. Um, and then you'd have Scoob and the gang chase all over the place. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, and also his second to last directing credit was an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. 
Yeah, which uh, we have talked about possibly visiting. Um, it could be fun. Uh, there's a lot more uh, connections through conversations that we've had in the past too. So uh, I'm still, it's still on my radar. So we'll yeah. just have to find a good episode. Yeah. Any uh, any suggestions from our fans, please get to us. <laughs> yeah, please. All right, and then uh, who else? Who else do we have? All right, so writer we have Richard Matheson. He's come back again. Um, so this is one of four episodes that he has done for the fifth season. So uh, I'm glad he's he's keeping strong, sort of. Um, yep. So I, I will bring up some credits since we've talked about him so uh, so much in the past, and he's been mentioned in the past episodes. I'm going to bring up some obscure uh, stuff about Richard. Um, he was in the Godfather two in a small bit of, uh, in the movie. Hmm. So I don't know if you saw that. I, here's an admission. I have, uh, I've never seen the Godfather part two. That's an admission. All right, cool. Uh, cool. Uh, I, we're in this together, man. Uh, <laughs> I have seen, <laughs> I've seen the first movie, which was incredible. And apparently the second movie is, uh, by far the best of the trilogy. Um, still have to get to it, but it, it's, I got to be in the right uh, headspace. Exactly. Meaning my wife isn't in the room. So, <laughs> and, and then like <laughs> those are those are like longer films. You got it. You know, you don't want to have distraction. You want to just kind of settle in and have that experience. I completely agree. That's why I. It's just it's it's a it's a rare like a rare headspace for me to want to watch something like that. Not that I'm ever against it. It just it has to be right place, right time. And and there's been plenty of times where they show it on a like. Um, like a loop on A and E or something like that. It's like, no, I want the uncut mm-hmm. original film. I, if I can get like the director's cut of this film, I want that too. Cause like I, the Godfather is an amazing film and I just, I'm holding this next installment up on such a pedestal. If it, if it fails me, it's, I don't want it to be a fault of anything <laughs> else than something I can control. Fair enough. I, I would agree with that completely. So, and then uh, my next notes for him is he did the screenplay for The Pit and the Pendulum, House of Usher, and Tales of Terror, which all had Vincent Price in them, and they're all uh, uh, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. Yeah, and also um, his his book, uh, I Am Legend, was uh, used for the Vincent Price original Last Man on Earth movie so there's other vincent price matheson connections and uh going back to some episodes prior to what we uh where we're doing right now but um we covered an episode of amazing stories and hope to cover some in the future he did three episodes of amazing stories as well he yeah. wrote those um yeah and we're going to be talking more matheson next week we'll actually have a special guest on that's excited to talk about matheson so i'm sure we'll get in some more uh, Matheson, um, we, we're going to, we're going to be real math heads around here. That's what's going to happen in the next two weeks. And that's not a bad thing to be. I'm happy. Like we'd seen Matheson season four with a uh, mute and, uh, um, was that the only one of his? No, no. I think there was a couple others maybe we saw, but we definitely talked about him in mute. Um, but yeah, he's one of those guys that like, uh, when I'd started watching the, the, the series again, I, I knew Matheson because of the Twilight Zone, because of and Stephen King liking Matheson and saying, "Hey, this is the guy that was doing this before I was." And then, of course, Duel and all that. Uh, but Matheson is like the number three position in terms of like amount of content put out uh, per for episode. So I'm glad we're getting more of his stuff. 
Yeah, uh, he's an amazing talent, and uh, I really wanted to touch on some other notes of his uh, that I'm I'm sure haven't really been covered in the past, but he's an incredible talent, and I can't wait to talk about him in the future as well. So uh, on to our cast, we have Lee Marvin. Uh, he plays Steel Kelly in this episode. Uh, he was in one other episode of Twilight Zone, and that was The Grave, and that was from Season 3, Episode 7. Yeah, it's a pretty solid episode. Uh, it's a little wonky, but he's good at it, and very spooky episode. Very, very good, appropriate Halloween episode because it's, uh, it deals with uh, you know a dead guy in a grave, and Lee Marvin's good in that. Uh, Lee Marvin was so drunk on set there that he uh, was fell off a horse, um, and one of the guys that was producer or director was like, I don't know who this guy is. Let's just get him out of here. And they're like, that's the lead. He's like, what? And then Lee Marvin showed up the next day and was able to keep working. Um, Lee Marvin was known as a heavy drinker, but he had, he has a magnetism to him. And so evidently, you know, people still liked working with him. but there's some scenes in this episode where he's handed a beer and I'm like, yeah, he knows what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) He was like Brando before Brando really hit hit his stride. Yeah. But I I like Marvin. He just, I mean, just looks like a badass. Yeah, very stoic looking. Um, uh, he was also in a show called M Squad uh, for 117 episodes. So he was leading this. Um, I looked up the premise, and it was uh, an elite um, task squad in Chicago to take down basically the mob and organized crime. Sounds like a fun show. I'll have to check it out. And yeah. then, um, he was also in the Dirty Dozens. And, of course, the one credit that i actually knew delta force because chuck norris is the man and that was actually marvin's last role was delta force they even still gave him a chance to be a badass where it's like he's on the back of a half track or something like shooting at people it's like we know he can't move much anymore but he can shoot a gun and that's cool uh there's a film from 67 that he's in called point blank that's just a really cool like um i i I hesitate to call it a crime film but he's a guy that is owed money uh for doing a job and he goes to this person who's like, I want my money. And then it's like, oh, well, I, you know, I'm not going to give it to you. So that he like basically beats up and like kills that guy or bullies him. And then it's like, and then he, they give up a name and then he goes to the next person. He's like, I want my money. <laughs> like it's this whole thing. It becomes a series of him moving up this ladder, just trying to get what's his. It's a really cool movie. And just seeing how everybody's like, oh, we're not going to give it to him. We're not going to take him seriously. And how he just doesn't stop until he gets paid. It's, it's a really cool movie. I'll have to check that one out. It sounds interesting. Yeah. So Um, that's, it's really cool. Very much sixties, but yeah, just Lee Marvin's awesome. uh, Yeah. He's great in this episode too. So I'm uh, moving on. We have uh, Joe Mantell. Uh, He plays pole. One other twilight zone episode as well. Um, Nervous man in a $4 room. Uh, That's from season two, episode three. Yeah. Cool episode. I, I didn't realize it was him because he's actually, Pretty, he has a pretty good uh, range on that episode, going from like um, wimpy to uh, very much a control. And here, he is obviously just like just talking a mile a minute, like that cranky mechanic. I like him. I, I don't have any other notes for him other than you know he was in the previous episode. So go back listen to that episode. I'm sure we had plenty to say about Mr. Mantel. Yeah. So uh, and then he he's in the birds. So I knew him from the birds. Um. So moving on, we have Chuck Hicks. Uh, he plays Maynard Flash, um, one of the robots. Um, 
he uh so the the quick notes i have for him is he actually was a boxer um and he he was a big enough dude he actually tried out for um um the, for the la rams uh back in the day too yeah I can uh, see that. so he was a he was a big dude and he tried out for pro ball he didn't make it but he was in college ball so he was a bad dude yeah, uh, so he actually, this would be the, his first of two appearances, so we'll see him again later. Maybe maybe not wearing a mask of himself, maybe, I don't know. Um, did a lot of stunt work. That's what he's mainly known for. Uh, I just want to point out that he was in uh, 1985's Runaway Train, which is, we just mentioned, um, uh, the Delta Force, which was a canon film. This is a canon film as well that uh, has John Voight, um, uh, Eric Roberts, and uh, Rebecca De Mornay. It's It's a really cool movie. Uh, and he did stunt work for that, which means that if it was a canon budget, he probably was almost going to die every time he was on one camera because they probably couldn't afford anything. So credit to him. Yeah, I still need to check that out. Um, and uh, he, he did some some of the Batman series. Uh, he was in Dirty Harry. He was in Beastmaster, which Beastmaster is amazing. We've talked about it. Was he, um, was he the he, stunt double for the um, for the spray painted tiger? Or the whatever. Was he the stunt double? Just wore <laughs> he was <outfit>. big enough. <laughs> it's like, stunt cat. Okay, he, fine. I'm just going to put the suit on. That's fine. And but, he played the brow in um, in Dick Tracy, the, the Dick Tracy film back wow. in like, what, 92, I think it was at this point or something like Probably that. Probably didn't need any prosthetics for that. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually have a story about uh, Chuck Hicks at the end of the episode in regards to the shooting uh, uh, and his boxing match with um, with Lee Marvin that it's a, it's a, okay. It's, it's a, it's a good little story to kind of shine a light on, on Marvin, the professional. Nice. Uh, uh, and then, so, um, we have merit hit, uh, merit Boing or Bone. Bon. Um, yeah. Bon. Yeah. So he plays Nolan, uh, one other twilight zone appearance. Um, one for the angels season one, episode two. Uh, this was a, this was an interesting episode. I do remember watching this one. So I can't really quite remember who he was in the episode, but yeah, I remember this episode clearly. Yeah, I don't I don't remember who he was in this episode. I know um oh who was it uh, the lead actor in that uh, just a older ve- uh, veteran character actor that stole the show, and that was one of the early episodes that kind of showed you what the Twilight Zone could be. Um, and you know, cool episode. Yeah, and then uh, he had a little bit of Batman uh, as well. So, and then uh, onward we go. So Frank London, he plays Maxwell in this episode. Uh, one other appearance as well. Uh, Penny for your thoughts, season two, episode sixteen. Yeah, that's all I got for him. <laughs> yeah, and a little bit of Playhouse ninety. So yeah, so there's a nice little connection. And then our my last uh, note is uh, uh, Tip McClure. Uh, the battling Maxo, uh, nothing I know, but that's, that's his name. So we have to give him a little bit of credit here since he is Maxo. That's, I wish I could show you my notes cause I wrote tip McClure's battling Maxo and then underneath just wanted to give him credit. Cause like both those names are great. Like if you were a boxer named tip McClure, it's like, Oh, are you the one doing the tipping or are you the one gets tipped over? I don't know. But also battling Maxo, you know, like I, that's, that's funny that, that's we're on the same page there. Um, I have two others here. Uh, Ken Domain is one of the boxing match spectators. I don't know which one he was. 
he was also in um, season three's episode Cavender is coming. So at least he got to be in a better episode. And then also Edwin Rochelle is a boxing match spectator as well. And oh my gosh, I have to say it. He was in Johnny Midnight. So the streak continues for the seasons, you know, uh, praise be praise the Serling. Damn you, man. I thought I was going to get all the, the Johnny midnight, uh, Hawaiian eye yeah. connections. And also wow. I just want to mention on uh, future music by Nathan Van Cleve. We've talked about him a lot on the series, like the score on this. Like, I mean, I don't think anything was written originally for this because there's a lot of, um, like stock music that CBS would have available for them to use. My gosh, like as much as I talked about the music last week and praise of Pip, I love the, the pick, the pieces they chose for this. Like it is jaunty and it is really cool. It, it just gives you, it gives you a vibe, even though this is set in the far off future of 74, the music's really cool. Yeah, it, it, it works well for this episode. So I'm, I'm glad that, um, they made the choices that they did for this. Yeah. So, all right. Before we uh, get to the bit of two grown men uh, dragging a um, a weird mannequin off a bus, let's just uh, let Sterling take it away. Sports item, circa 1974. Battling Maxo B2 heavyweight, accompanied by his manager and handler, arrives in Maynard, Kansas, for a scheduled six-round bout. Battling Maxo is a robot, or to be exact, an android. Definition: an automaton resembling a human being. Only these automatons have been permitted in the ring since prize fighting was legally abolished in 1968. This is the story of that scheduled six-round bout. More specifically, the story of two men shortly to face that remorseless truth that no law can be passed which will abolish cruelty or desperate need, nor for that matter, blind animal courage. Location for the facing of said truth. A small, smoke-filled arena just this side of the Twilight Zone. All right. So yeah, Terry, uh, tell us about this awkward, um, uh, exiting of a bus. So, yeah. So we see the, the bus coming into town here and there's very few people on it and we see steel and uh pole come off to the, this come to their stop and start wheeling off. It looks like a mannequin almost. Um, and they're moving it through the bus and it's, it's kind of awkward and they finally get it off. And as soon as they get it to the ground level, um, one of the uh, it looks kind of like a caster that is on the bottom of its foot just falls off to the ground. And Steele tells Paul to lean it back so he can put the, the caster back on it. And uh, <laughs> it, it looks it pr- looks pretty junky, like the situation that they're in. And uh, they go into a diner that's nearby and they order a couple beers. But when we walk into the diner, the first thing we see is uh, a calendar. I, I love this shot because it's just like, let's not give any more context to than what date it is than just showing a calendar. So it's August of 74. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I think it's kind of funny. I do. I do like the economy of storytelling where it's like, here's a calendar. It's 1974. But I also like that it's 1974 via 1963, where it's like, we're all wearing fedoras and we're all going to be sweaty. Um, I just, I, but credit, credit to Matheson and company and to Serling and the producer at this time, which I forget that guy's name, that they didn't overthink 
the now of that 74. Like they didn't try to go like the biggest hook of this is that it's going to be future robot boxing. Right. But they didn't overthink like, well, where's fashion going to be? Where's it going to be? Which ties into when we talked last week about, um, like, uh, the twilight princess, like concept they're going to tour around with, like, just let people know that it's like, it's, it's the near future and we're fine. So it's funny that it's like, they have to let you know this, but at least it wasn't just like, Oh, Hey, still, I haven't seen you since 1963. And he'd be like, yes, it's been 11 years and turns towards the camera and say it. There would have been clunkier ways, no pun intended, considering about the robots we're about to talk about to handle that. Um, I do want to mention earlier, like you talked about the um, the supermarket wheel, supermarket um, like uh, cart wheel falling off of uh, the robot. Um, it, it does look really, really bad, and I know it's on purpose. I think that it starts to set up this theme through the episode of just how... Um, how far gone this boxer is and how much willpower steel is just like forcing it through. Cause even with the wheels literally falling off of his, his endeavor, he takes the time to stop and, and, and put it back on and keep pushing forward. And it didn't occur to me until like the second time through that, the, that the wheel falling off cause it happens multiple times is speaking to something bigger. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on uh, both of those uh, uh, parts of what you were talking about there. I, as far as the uh, August of 74 uh, uh, calendar kind of giving the idea of what timeline we're in, I think that that was well-placed and it's able to just kind of move the story along. We don't need to know, especially because this is a 25-minute episode. Mm-hmm. We don't need to know about fashion. We don't need to know about like what's going on in the rest of the modern world and that, like what cars are looking like now or whatever. We just need to know we have fighting robots. That's enough for me. Like <laughs> I like fighting robots. I want giant monsters. Like I that's the kind of like mind uh like wheelhouse that I want to be in. So this gives me exactly what I would like. Uh, and actually was looking really forward to this episode too, to tip my hand a little bit. Well, and just, um, to, just to also mention, you, um, have you seen, you've, have you seen Pacific Rim? The Del Toro yes, film? Of okay. course I have. Well, I just want to <laughs> like, you'd be surprised at what people are like. I'm like, Hey, what if you had giant robots punching giant monsters and Del Toro's directing and everyone's like, I don't know about that. Like whatever. If you watch that film, you see that like, when they ask about this being like the near future, Del Toro made it a point of like, well, when the Kaiju started coming, all other technology kind of stopped. So everybody could lean into making giant robots. So that's why they, you don't see other weird tech in the movie other than, um, the, uh, you know, um, the robots themselves, the, the cavern shots and that with the two, the, the two people controlling it. And, uh, yeah, like that text there, but you don't actually see like, um, you know, like you don't see like other cool, weird future tech in the rest of the world. So I think that this is the same idea of like boxing got outlawed because people were dying in the ring, which, uh, according to, they said this was outlawed in 68, that there were situations around the time that this episode was written in which people had died in the ring and which even unfortunately you still see that happening now. Um, there was the very real possibility that boxing was going to be outlawed. So this is not that far off of an idea. You know, I, and I, it, it makes complete sense. I mean, people getting back to human basic human uh, thought where it's like, 
we got to protect our own. We got to make sure that uh, like when our when our children are watching something, they're not scared about what's what's going on. Like it doesn't tamper with their thoughts and that. Like these are basic things. So um, it, it put me in a right space um, immediately, especially in um, Steele's conversation with Paul and how they describe what has happened in the last considering where we are in this episode timeline, uh, what is it? 15 years or whatever it is. Uh, well, I mean, so this is 74, uh, it was outlawed in 68. So the last, like what, uh, six, seven years of robot fighting. Right. So it seems like the models that were coming out kind of like fell in line with like iPhone releases. So like they have a B2, which must've been one of the very first models. And now we're going to find out that they're in a match with the B seven, which is like the top of the line or near top of the line. Yeah. But it, considering what they, they have in store, uh, pole is really, uh, set the odds for, um, their B two that they brought. Well, cause and he's the mechanic. Like, he knows they don't he, have yeah. any of the, he, he knows what the B2 parts. doesn't have. He knows what Maxo does not have, which is proper parts and, um, a repair schedule that makes sense. Cause they don't make parts and they don't have the money for it. Yeah. And there's nothing in town. Like they're not even in their neighborhood, so they can't find like something that can make way. So they're really out of their element right now. But of course, steel is trying to champion the idea. Like they can make it. He's fought the best in the past. Like we can make this work. And uh, we find out a little later that steel was actually a boxer as well. So it's probably that, that simple mentality. It's like, no matter what you can be the underdog and still come out on the other end and be the champion. So he probably looks at this as like, like it's somebody he's kept in training. Like he's, he's championing for him and he can make this boxer work. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it, it's. What is it? Um, Sylvester Stallone uh, titled um, the the Rocky Balboa film before it got put in production. He, he labeled the script a puncher's chance, and that's why I feel like Steel has what he believes he has with uh, Maxo. Um, and that there's there's the brief bit though. Whatever uh, Paul goes through, everything wrong with the robot. Uh, <clears throat> robot. Sorry. A robot. Um, that. Uh, that I'm going to play at the end of the episode. Everybody, I just turned 42. Just can you imagine that this is my body? When we get to the end, I'll play that bit of all the problems Paul's talking about. That's what's actively going on in my body right now, too. So I was really sympathetic to this B2 robot. Your gyro's broken. Yeah, and I have no uh, oil paste, uh, no protection on my left side. I have a cracked uh, ocular lens or whatever, you know. I have, I have a case of the whoopsie daisies. And also whenever I move my left arm, it makes a loud cartoonish springing noise. So I'm, I'm as bad as bad off as this B2. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's interesting. in the fact that like the evolution of these robots is coming so quickly as well, because it was outlawed in 68 for uh, regular boxing to happen. So I'm wondering what the timeline was for, uh, the outlaw, the outlawing of boxing, and then we're going to bring in robots to box. So, and it's, it seems like it's pretty quick too, because these robots look pretty badass too. They do. I mean, obviously they're actors, but you know, it's like suspending disbelief. They look pretty sweet. Yeah, they do. But like, I was kind of using the correlation between 
like uh, iPhones, right? Like um, think about like the iPhone two versus like what, what are they on now? The iPhone 87. I don't even know where they're at. And like those come out almost yearly. Think about like the gaps in technology and presentation between those. I know it's, it's, it's kind of interesting in the fact that like it is like a, a really good parallel that you've just uh, shown me where like we have uh, like, well, this phone does all of this, but look at how big the camera is on the next phone. And like there's 15 cameras on this phone and you can take uh, 3D imaging and all that stuff. Like that's kind of what we get in this narrative right now where we understand that the downfalls of the B2 um, model of their robot is it's not it's it's not going to stand up in a, in a fight in a normal fight but now we find out that like the b7 is what it's going to go against and now we're also finding out there's, there's a b9 coming out near in the near future what like the days of their of, of maxo are numbered no matter what yeah but seems like steel is like the hardest press to like realize that. Yeah, no, you're, you're the, and the, like, the thing is like, he doesn't have two nickels to rub together. He's just trying to basically keep this thing going along as he, as long as he can. Right. Cause he's hoping for that one decent windfall so he can get back on his feet because he, um, as much as reality staring him in the face, this is not who he is. Right. And, and, and again, uh, you talk about the, the brevity of storytelling cause this episode's only 20 plus minutes long. You know, when we talk about, we find out that he was a boxer, that he had to stop because of the outlawing. Uh, he seemed like a pretty, like, established, I mean, granted, he he has the bit in the office a little bit later where he's talking to, like, the, the, the management staff or whatever, right? Like, they're not even paying attention to him. Like, he was kind of a known commodity, and then also uh, Maxo was, too, like, back in the day. Um, so you get the idea that he knows success and knows what it takes, but because this is all he's ever known. You're never going to shake him from it. So his, his nickname of steel. Cause he's like, yeah, they call me steel Kelly, which is, you know, whatever he said, like, um, this is a guy that it does not matter how much is actually coming for him. He's going to do it his way. And he's going to tell you like, either you're with me or I'm going to bash your head in like to get what I want. And who else would have been more perfect for this, than Lee Marvin to play this role. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a quick judgment call here. How do you feel about this being, uh, uh, a parallel between a Browns fan? (laughs) No, I, I, I was actually kept, I kept like waiting to be like, Steel Kelly spoken like a true Cleveland sports fan. You know, like I was waiting to make that comment. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. So, I mean, I mean, no disrespect to uh, to any Browns fan out there, but uh, Steel Kelly seems like the biggest Browns fan ever. <laughs> and like, yeah, wait, all and we need if, is some oil paste and an offensive line and a quarterback and a 16 game schedule. And when we don't play anybody, then I, you know what? We'll be right as rain. And at a first good three rounds of the draft, we can make this happen. Yeah, and then if like. I don't know. Most of the AFC North just um, doesn't play this year. We got a shot. <laughs> like I <can> see. Like <laughs> let's just get through this yeah. week. Oh, I mean, it's the Steelers. Like they're it, they're B seven, but they're glitchy. We got a shot. You know, that's what it feels like to me. 
So, yeah, so uh, stick with us, Browns fans, and you'll find out what I mean more a little bit along the way. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's sad. But, yeah. But, yeah, so well, the whole thing is like we find out there's 500 bucks on the line because uh, they've already signed uh, this contract. They're not the title card. They're, like, the mid card. And so Paul knows what's up, which is basically saying our robot's not going to make it. And But Kelly's like, we got to get, you know, we've already signed the contract. We're going to give them a fight. It's supposed to be a six-round fight. They wheel um, the robot into the arena. And that's when Kelly starts talking to the powers that be, and he's really trying to hype things up. And eventually the guy who runs the joint comes in and was like, oh, I'm surprised you showed up. And then he's basically saying, we haven't had anything less than a B4 here in, in years. And I like the notion that he says, like, we wouldn't have booked you if our other uh, you know, robot boxer wasn't in a car wreck. So I don't know what happened there. That's a story I want to see. Was the, was the boxer driving? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so he was a late minute addition and Kelly's like, sure. Do you have a ready room? He's like, yeah. And he goes, you can see he has that, like that flop sweat of like, well, can I have the money? And the guy's like after the fight, which, you know, to be fair, the guy's not wrong. No, it makes complete sense. I mean, why would you pay out on something that like they could literally walk out and this dude's got cash already in his hand? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as a businessman, Nolan was Nolan knows what the hell is he doing? Yeah. So then when we get to the ready room, um, which I like that it's just a locker room with like a bunch of Radio Shack parts all around. I appreciate that little little bit of a, you know, craftsmanship there because it's, you know, battling uh, robots. Uh, They go through um, the paces trying to see if Maxo can track. And it's kind of a cool sequence seeing Lee Marvin kind of like like pace around a little bit and kind of like, you know work him through his steps and you see, and you mentioned how cool the, the boxers look. This is the first time we see Maxo. Um, William Tuttle did the makeup. He did the prosthetic max masks for the boxers. So he actually did a life cast of both actors and then did a mask of their own face, which I think is cool to give it that artificial look. Uh, William Tuttle's done a lot of great makeup effects for the twilight zone. He did um, the pig nose people for eye of the beholder. I believe he was the one that did um, oh, um, Long Live Walter Jameson when they did that really, really cool uh, in-camera shot of showing the guy aging on real time. Like, William Tuttle knows his stuff, and this is a really fun makeup effects. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, the prosthetics that they had put on his face, uh, on uh, both boxers' faces, because they look withered, man. They look like they've been through a bunch of different fights and it, it almost looks like they are artificial. Yeah. So there's a good balance there. Well, and credit to the director too, uh, to Don Weiss. is Don Weiss. That's his, that's, I have his name here. Sorry. My apologies. Yeah. Don Weiss. I credit to him too. Cause I also, well, I don't know if it was him in particular that was directing them to act the, the way the boxers were when they're, they're in their programming. Um, there's a lot of stretching your imagination for this episode, but again, it's the twilight zone that you're already in for the ride. But when you see Maxo start going through his paces and the way he just kind of carries himself, it doesn't look real. It looks like a robot going through its programming and hiding the expressions on the face goes a long way to do that. So you have like this dead face and you see him putting his hands up and kind of being a defensive posture while Lee Marvin's walking him through it's really effective. And then later when we see the flash, some of the, the, some of the ways they direct him to act too is really cool. Yeah. It, it worked out really well for me, um, as a viewer, 
uh, I could tell that they were being uh, almost like uh, stinted and like what they were doing in that. Like the the scene worked really well for me. I'm I'm glad that uh, they chose this kind of makeup and that for the scene. And the the actors actually work really well through uh, what they're presented to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get the bit too where Steele's like, nope, we gotta put him on offensive, and and Paul's like, no, we can't do that. And he's like, that's what the contract says. So then the moment they put Maxo on offensive, he just reaches out with his left, and you hear and his arm just goes limp and i'm like yeah i've been there (laughs) (laughs) but his left arm shot and and then they reach into his his guts and his back and they realize that maxo maxo's never he's actually not going to even make it to the ring at this point yeah and he uh steel was trying to say like protect the left like don't don't use the left at all and paul was trying to tell him he's like at some point, he's going to have to throw a left. He's, you know, he's not going to be a righty the entire match. Yeah. And as soon as we we saw him throw like a very weak left jab, that's when the left goes down and it's it's out of order completely. Um, you, you just want to hear that wah 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 and. <laughs> It's like, I wish they would have did a zoom in like in the most, most recent Mortal Kombat games where you just see the arm break and just fall to the side. Like they do the x-ray of like, yeah, but it'd almost be an x-ray of just a series of rubber bands and like a soda can just falling apart. Cause that's what I feel like it's inside him at this point. Yeah. It's, it's, it it is somewhat comical to see the innards of what these, uh, these high efficiently robots high efficient robots are supposed to be to put into a boxing ring to like beat the shit out of each other. It's, it's a little comical, but I like, again, we just kind of have to move forward. Um, but yeah, it's like there's pieces that are just kind of bouncing out of the, the back of Maxo at this point. And steel is still trying to get pole to fix the robot and, Paul's like, there's nothing we can do. Like, this is it. This was the last draw. Um, there's nowhere we can get these parts. And Steel makes the decision to put himself in the ring. Like, he's like, all right, well, no one has really seen what Maxwell looks like. It's, it's I'm going to step in. And knowing that he's a boxer, he could handle himself. I mean, in theory, yeah. Like, I mean... I mean, you know, like uh, it's it's the same thing of like, yes, I play chess. Just put me against Deep Blue. I yes, I understand where the pieces are, but this is not going to go well. <laughs> like, <laughs> but in, with this case, it's like, yes, it's it's a B seven that these things are just meant to obliterate. So let's just put a human in there, you know. And but but Paul knows, like he knows the danger, and we play at the beginning. Like, let's let's take a step back. I want to ask you. Um, Though Steel bullies Paul a lot, but Paul is always constantly jabber John being negative, which I think he's being realistic, but he does get like he does go on a lot to no avail. Um, do you do you buy their relationship as more than just business partners at this point? I just want to ask you that question. No, no not at all. I, there's there's something in it for Paul. And the fact that he is the master mechanic that he claims to be in that. Um, it, it, he's only in it for the money and still knows that he needs 
Pole, I don't think Pole thinks that he needs Steel at all. Yeah, I mean, I like guess just, it's fair. Like, I just kind of got the vibe of like, um, I'm going to guess like six, seven years ago when they first got in the business that it was a much more um, like tenable relationship. And it's like, you, it's like almost like you have that partner that you still believe in, but they're not seeing the writing on the wall. That's where I kind of get at, but you're right. He's in it for the money, but it's like, he also like, I mean, if, if he's, if he's in it for the money then he's also backing the wrong horse, you know, for being as good of a mechanic as he says he is. Um, I don't know. I just want to, I just want to get your opinion. I'm not saying that like, I disagree with that. Cause again, this is, this, this is the, the fun part once done well of the shorter twilight zone episodes where we can kind of like, um, ask questions and they're not, they're not detriments to the episode about asking about character motivation. No, no, not at all. And I, and I think the limitations might even be there for Paul as well. Like he's talking about how much he knows about the, the, the other incarnations of the, the B series. And he has the B two here. No one ever said that he knows his shit about the B three or the B four or any of the future incarnations of it as well. Like he might be limited by just what he knows about the B two series. So he may need steel just as much. That's fair. You're right. Cause I mean, it might just be a situation of like whenever like automobiles switched from being mainly, you know, mechanical to uh, incorporating a lot of like computer pieces and different things that maybe people were left behind and arguing like, Oh, well that's not going to ever work because that's all they know. I, I know mechanics like this and, it is it's it's disappointing because the way that the the future is trending right now cars are being a lot more uh, controlled by the manufacturers and you have to take them to the dealers so it is kind of a good mirror image of what may be transpiring right now and i think we're giving it a lot more uh <laughs> I, I guess like levity to what you know is happening right now but it's unnecessary because you know, it is character driven right now. Yeah. I mean, but the notion of like automation and innovation, uh, people can either choose to evolve or not. And I guess that would also argue for pole for reasons you laid out and certainly for, for steel for, you know, it's evident that he's in a fixed position, right? He's never going to not be him. He's never not going to evolve past, uh, um, the only solution is to punch your way out. And that's where he's at. So we literally get him. There, there's the bit here. I love this bit where he dresses like the whole thing with these these the robots uh, that you see, like they're covered in like uh, like this um, whole full wrap before that you actually even see their robe. And they have this black hood on their head, which I don't know. I don't know if that hood's aged well. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, it's awkward looking. Um, and so when you're wheeling the robots around on their shopping cart wheels, um, it's a, it's an awkward looking like mummy on roller skates. Uh, but then when there's a bit with pole with the actor taking Lee Marvin out, it's, it's a fun little bit cause you could tell it's Lee Marvin. So the shape of the body's way different than it was originally. And he's trying to wheel him into the arena and he's trying to talk to steel. Uh, the, um, you know, Mantel's trying to talk to Marvin and it's like, he's still trying to talk him out of it. So we don't really know. We don't know what steel Kelly looks like until he gets in the ring, because we know as an audience that the bulk of the people there don't know what Maxo looks like. So when we actually get to see what Kelly looks like in the ring, that's a, that's a really fun reveal. 
Um, and then um, if you want to talk about that for a second, then we'll talk about uh, the Flash, uh, the Maynard Flash, because that guy is scary as all get out. Yeah, and I, I do agree with you about the the, the hood that's over the, the fighter. It looks it, it's more indicative to like gimp masks. So <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, kind of frightening fair to enough. see it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, no, don't put that away. <laughs> yeah, I just it just didn't you know it's I get it you know but uh and it was also a nice cheat whenever they're like like lugging around this mannequin early in the episode because you don't have to show a face. Right. But then when they get there's this bit where they're wheeling him to the ring. And I also want to point out here, too, and not to go too long about it, like they, they did the Orson Welles thing with Citizen Kane, where you can tell that they're supposed to be implying like a full boxing arena, like a, like a crowd full, like full spectators. There's a lot of these wonderful shots where it's a lot of like fog and like signs in the background with Mantel wheeling Marvin in and you hear crowds and then you get these close ups of a couple people. And then when you see the ring, it's a POV shot of them wheeling their way into the ring. And you see the two managers of the Maynard Flash and him just sitting there with his gloves on his knees, just staring straight ahead with these dead black eyes. Like he's like, you know, the T-1000. It's really cool. Dude, I I don't know what kind of prosthetic they put over his eyes, but. It was frightening. Uh, <laughs> like ping pong ball, ping pong balls, ping pong pong balls, whatever. I can't say that right. Painted black. That's what that was. It was it was effective, man. Like, it, I, 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 you know, to kind of give the viewer, especially of the of the sixties, the idea that this is not a human being, and but it has humanistic character characteristics. Uh you kind of achieved it well, I think. Like it looks beat up, it looks like a badass, and it like the the functions of it are are still mechanical in in certain perceptions. Um, but it, it looks it looks kind of frightening, and like I'm glad that they they chose this effect because it's close enough, especially if you wanted to be a person that wanted to watch boxing and still have like that, that balance of, well, they are robots, but they're still humans. Like, I think that was effective. Yeah. It's just just seeing like the flash sit there. And then whenever he stands up and then like taps the gloves above his head, very like, like mechanically, of course that's effective, but yeah, having the prosthetic face of themselves over their face just gives it that, um, it, it it's not uncanny valley is not the right word it's like it's almost like um it's like the opposite of that where it's like they're purposely trying to make it artificial but your brain can't separate it a little bit i think it's really cool like it's a cool effect but i like um and i don't know how they did this but like because in terms of the story when they pull the hood off of battling max so do you see uh lee marvin is steel with his hair dyed black I'm like, I thought you didn't have oil paste around. Where'd you get you? Where'd you get something to make your hair black? But I like that he's wearing like eyeliner and everything, trying to make himself look artificial. It's it's a cool like. It's like you could tell that it was their their ability to try to do an approximation, right? And I thought that was like you're running the con. People can't see you up close. This is going to work. Paul even says, "Yeah, um, like what if like what if you start sweating?" And he and he and uh, Steele's characters like. 
people haven't seen a B2 for years around here. They're not going to know. Basically implying if they see me sweat or they see me bleed, they're going to think it's fluids and oil. And I'm like, well, I guess going in, you know, you're going to get the hell be out of you. So don't think too much about it. Well, I think they said that the newer models were actually able to like produce some kind of sweat and um, blood as well. Like to just give the, uh, the image that like, they're still human. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe I misheard that, but no, like, I think you're right. Seemed... It would be like here in 2020, if you had like two real dolls fighting each other, I you know, that's, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Just, you know, and we'll move on. <laughs> and it's, and, and it still poops in its diaper. And <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, no. yeah, it's like, Oh, look at that real doll. It's uh it has uh, it's completely anatomically correct. Ugh. Let them fight. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway. So yeah. Enough, of that. yeah, enough of that. I mean, you know, do, <laughs> do, do robots poop? That's what I want to know. I don't want to know that. Uh, so, um, yeah. So the flight sequence actually goes on for a bit. So credit to this episode for being, um, as, as short as it is in the sense of its runtime that it actually devotes pretty much, I would say, if, if not that I'm saying you could time it like bell to bell, but the uh, what a boxing round is three minutes, right? So, mm-hmm. and I just know this because of Punch Out from Nintendo, not because I actually watch boxing. Uh, so, right? You're about to agree with me. <laughs> I, I, no, no, I, I know more about uh, boxing games than I do actual boxing. So, yeah, <laughs> and it's then, like Lee Marvin just needed the, he, movies too. he needed a star punch and he didn't get one. But anyway, um, but yeah, the sequence is very effective in the sense of like it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't let you look away from the potential murder of a man in a ring with the robot that their face doesn't change. Like the expression doesn't change. And their whole goal is to beat their opponent to pieces. It, it, it they, and they really do beat the shit out of each other. Like, well, I, I actually, I, let me, let me, uh, rephrase it. Still gets the shit beat out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, so, it, it's yeah. it's a little one sided here. Um, you can tell the the B seven series is working well. Like it knows what it's doing. It's well crafted, and it takes it out on steel. And we can tell. Uh, and there's there's a minute there where uh, steel may have the upper hand, but we see these blows go to the face um to uh flash and they don't do anything to it at all and he just starts wailing on steel a little bit more it's it's, it's like watching a cat that's been declawed like smack somebody in the face that's about as much reaction as the maynard flash has with steel kelly punching him in the face it's it's sad man like you you really are trying to like pull for the underdog here like Especially, like, I've seen Rocky. I've seen all the iterations of Rocky for the most part. When you see that first movie and you know that the odds are stacked against Rocky and he's still going up against the most elite fighter still, you still you still think that he might be able to pull it out at the end. I know this is prior to Rocky coming out. We don't get that at all. Like, as a... You know, as somebody who appreciates like the underdog storyline, Steel is getting his ass whooped, and like 
he might be a little elusive. Like there's one scene I thought was kind of comical where he evades a couple of punches um, from Flash and gets behind him and Flash looks around and he turns around and gets like one good hit from steel. Yeah, he does like a rabbit punch to the back of his head, like to basically egg him on. And it's like, that's the only decent blow he lands the entire time. Yeah. And he, and he still whoops him and we see, <laughs> we see steel um, go to the ground and he's out, man. That's it. Like that one drop and he's done. And, uh, Pole comes in, the the fight's over. Pole comes in, and he tells Steel, like, you know, it's it, that's it, man. Like, what are we, what are we gonna do? And uh, Steel tells him, get the robe, get the robe, and he wants it. He wants to be covered up. Like, he doesn't want to show the emotions of of the loss right now. He just wants to be covered up and shrouded. Yeah, because th- there's money on the line, right? He has to still act like a robot, even though his uh, insides are jelly. Yeah, it, 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 and it, I mean, he just got pummeled by this thing. He, you can tell he's bleeding. He's sweating like profusely. I mean, even more than he was before, because <laughs> yeah. he was, dude. He looked waxed when he came yes. into the ring. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, and like, um, so yeah, there's a whole bit too. It's like it's real, real quick. But when they wheel him out when Paul's wheeling him out like away from like the crowd. And then when they turn the corner to go back to the ready room, uh, you can tell that like steel is trying to hold it together. And the moment they get to the ready room, he just collapses on the floor. And it's, it's a very telling and important moment to show how much he's trying to still put on appearances just to get their $500. And I mean, I understand it. Like, you've already just gotten your ass whooped um, and you're trying to portray the robot. Like I, you know, whatever human emotions are going to come out after that. Like, I don't think you are, are able to control that. So, I mean, pull, pull him out of there takes him back to the room. He, he wheels him on those roller skates. And when we get him into the room, the door basically closes. Uh, he collapses. He collapses to the ground and he's defeated, like in all intents and purposes now. And while Paul is trying to talk to him, he says, like, this seems to be the only motivation at this point. Steele says to him, go get the money. Like, go get it now. Yeah, before go they find it. out what we did, get it. Get the money. That was why I did this. So... We see Paul come back a moment later, and he he says to Steele, I could only get half. And, of course, Steele is upset by this. He's like, they wanted a real bout. We can't argue with these guys. It's their place. They could have sent us on the rails if, for all they wanted. It's their place. So they're getting 250 bucks, and... So Steele's already working out the math in his mind. All right, well, we can take the we can take the bus all the way back. That's going to cost $60, $70. No problem. It leaves us around $200. He, I like he rounds up after doing the math. I appreciate <laughs> right. that. 
Yeah, well, you just got your beat, your brains beat in. So I, I guess math is kind of like arbitrary. <laughs> <laughs> but if he says sixty dollars for bus tickets out two fifty, that means you have one ninety. So he's like, it's around two hundred. I'm like, technically, you're right. Yeah. So, uh, so, but like all the all the other um, calculations are now to put back into Maxo. And he's looking up to Maxo, like, we're gonna help you out, dude. It, like. You may have hit a bad spot, but we're this is all for you. We're gonna put this back into you. So it's it, it's kind of a weird sense of like, you know, you have that buddy who went through a hard time, and you can see they're on they're they're down and out, but you're gonna make something work for them. So that's how I felt. Steel was it was like Steel was like, no what no matter how bad Maxo has had it, I'm gonna make it work for that dude. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, it's projecting, right? Like, it's complete projecting on one right. more bout, one more fight. We can make this work. It was somewhat endearing, though, like the way he was looking up to Maxo mm-hmm. and like the way that Maxo was in this fighting position still like like he can't he can't do it for himself anymore. But still is like he's down on the ground and still looking up to Maxo like you're still my last hope too. I don't know. It was, it was a, it was a weird juxtaposition of like emotions here for me on this one. Again, you're speaking from being a Cleveland sports fan. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So it comes back full circle. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Oh man, I got the shippy out of me. Um, you know, maybe next year <laughs> there's always next year. I feel like, you know, and it, that is a good quality in, in Cleveland sports fan. So this one's for you, Cleveland. You guys would put it out on the line if you could. You would be out there on the scrimmage if you could. I would be there, like, catching the foul ball if I could. Like, that's how Cleveland is. Like, I feel so Cleveland when I when I watch this episode. I'm like, this is Cleveland to the bone, you know? Yeah, like, if I had the money to throw away, I would get a uh, – just because you've inspired me, I would get a Cleveland Browns jersey with the number 74 and – the name steel on the back and everybody be like, who's that? I'd be like, you don't even know. He went less than one round with a robot. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got to believe that for real. Like right. it really is like, it is the, it's a heartache story, but, um, the, the come around was steel. Didn't want to give up. Even he put himself, his whole, his whole livelihood on the line to get, his ass beat by a robot and possibly killed just for the possibility of moving forward and getting ahead. Yeah. Steel, steel doesn't bend no matter what pressure steel doesn't bend. Right. That's, I think that's how to capsulate this, you know, and people might view it as uh, desperation. Um, I agree with you. I view it as in like, you know, it, it, but there's also a certain, there's a certain romanticism of like, this person believes in this so much that it's probably going to kill them, but you got to respect the passion. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's something about the inner motives of people. Sometimes there were like it being in pulse position. You can't question it. It's just a drive and it, it's, it's upsetting sometimes. And you just see the, this inner light in people where it's like, they know that they can do something and they want to take on the world to, to achieve it. You kind of just have to follow and, or get out of the way. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I have some. I have some trivia about Steel. Do you have any other notes about the episode proper before I get into trivia, and then we'll get into the rest of the episode here uh, and round it out. No, you have platform, man. All right. All right. So, um, so of the sixteen episodes written by Matheson, this was reportedly his favorite. He was actually on set and saw. Um, he saw Lee Marvin psyching himself up because a lot of the shots where when they first were like, um, like unloading the robot onto the street, they like, you know, he, there wasn't a lot of noise on set because, you know, obviously the way they filmed it couldn't be a lot of incidental noise. So he would actually make like crowd noise and like street noise to get himself psyched up. And then when he was in the arena, he made crowd noise to psych himself up. Matheson remembers that and says that, you know, Marvin was kind of like that guy that was a little bit more method. Um, so I thought that was cool. Uh, I mentioned William Tuttle doing the makeup effects, which is amazing. Um, so then here, this is a uh, quote from oh, Chuck Hicks, who played the Maynard Flash. Uh, and this is from the Twilight Zone Encyclopedia by Stephen J. Rubin. It's an amazing resource as well. <clears throat> Here's the quote. Um, sorry. he Yeah, he played Maynard Flash. I knew Lee Marvin for a long time, and he was a real man and a great guy. During the fight scenes while filming, I had two pieces of plastic over my eyes uh, to make me look like a robot. But he didn't say robot. Uh, and I was pretty new to the business, so instead of putting little holes in them so that I could have some air in there, I sweated and I was just looking at the blur most of the time. I ended up hitting Lee a couple of times, but uh, the tough Marine um, that he was never complained. He always would say, don't worry about it, Chuck. I know your problem. Yeah, he was a drinker, but a real great man underneath that um, plastic and skin. So that was Chuck Hicks' uh, response to clipping Lee Marvin a couple of times, which I'm sure that actually ended up in the final episode because some of those hits looked pretty real to me. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I <laughs> Otherwise... Uh... Chuck Hicks was a better actor than I thought because those, <laughs> those didn't look pulled. No, no. So then uh, also there was a film that came out in 2011 called Real Steel that has a uh, Hugh Jackman or a huge Jackman, as you want to call him, uh, in which there's fighting robots. Um, and because there was enough of a passing similarity to this episode, I think it was Fox reached out to Matheson. I was like, Hey, uh, we'll give you story credit. If you assign this and take a check and Matheson at the time was like, okay, whatever. I guess I'll take your money. Like he was so indifferent, but he's like, sure. You have my permission. Just, okay. I'll take, I'll get paid. Like, <laughs> I like that. He was a point, his point of his life where it's like, well, I'm glad someone checked up on me and gave me a check. So by the way, real still is actually a pretty fun movie. If it would have come out when I was a kid, it would be it would be my favorite goddamn movie in the world. It is fun. Um, that was one of those films that got panned uh, by critics and that. And I ended up watching it a, probably about a year and a half ago, and I enjoyed it. It's a, fun it's a movie. lot of fun. It's a, yeah, and you can see as much as Matheson might have been dismissive of it at the time. You see the DNA for Steel in this, especially with uh, Hugh Jackman's character of like trying to find one more fight, and then them finding the um, oh whatever it is, the robot they found in the junkyard was like a sparring dummy or something, a sparring robot. How it wasn't really a good counterpuncher, but nobody could break it because it was a practice f- robot. There, there. I don't. Know. It's it, it. feels like real. Real steel is a, cr- a cross between steel and over the top in the best way possible. That's a good analogy. Um, uh, I, I enjoy uh, like these kind of underdog storylines and that. 
this one didn't typically wouldn't be for the typical um uh like fan because uh, we usually see the underdog win mm-hmm. but i'm glad that we saw something like this especially from what is a 64 right uh 63 nope 63 yeah. yeah so like this paints a better image to what you have to expect. (laughs) Yeah. And and considering this is also not the first time that robots and boxing separate, I have appeared in the twilight zone in terms of uh, robots. We had the lonely we've had, um, all the lateness of the hour we've had, uh, what was it? Um, I sing the body electric. We've had robots show up before here. And in terms of boxing, I think it was the season one episode, the big tall wish, um, yeah, like this is, this is not, this is not unfamiliar territory, but I think it went directions that we weren't expecting. And I think, um, if you, if, if Terry, if you would not mind, I think this will lead us into our twist rating. So for me that steel, I'd see this episode previously. So it was a little, a little behind the scenes. This was actually one of the first ones I picked to watch whenever I was originally coming up with the idea for the podcast. I was like, Oh, it's Matheson. It's fighting robots. Let me check it out. So I've seen this thing a few years ago. Uh, I had forgotten about what actually ended up happening. So the notion that steel would end up fighting an actual robot, I'll give that a one that he would actually lose. I give that a three. Cause I completely forgot about it and I didn't see it coming. So I, I only know that there was an adaptation um, for the movie steel. That's all I knew about this at all. Um, so this was a first time watch completely. And I, I was floored by it. Uh, I didn't expect, um, uh, our, our main character steel to actually get into the ring and lose. So this is, this is kind of like a four across the spectrum for me. I didn't expect either one of those. That's fair. So if you take my one and three, it equals four. So I think we're on the same page. Woo. All right. So yeah, steel, a fun episode, a uh, good episode. And, um, it just feels so good to be back in the twilight zone, getting into weird stuff and distant science fiction of 1974 and battling robots. Uh, yeah, I'm sure when we get to the end of this uh, season, um, who knows where this one's going to land. We've only seen two so far, but I, I just, it was, it was a fun one to revisit. So, uh, before we talk about what we're doing next, you guys can find us on our Facebook page, the strange highways podcast. Um, I've been super happy to have been posting, uh, images during the week. Again, I have Jack Klugman, uh, pulling a knife on somebody. That's a really fun image. You guys can check it out there. You guys can email us directly at strange highways podcast at gmail.com, wherever you find your podcast rate and review us. And Terry, tell everybody about everything else. So we are on Instagram these days. Uh, so strange highways podcast, all one word. Um, and check us out, man. We're posting a, bl- a bunch of images. Uh, uh, I think that it's going to be a fun trip. Uh, a brief aside from everything that we do on Facebook and that some people are not on Facebook, check out our Instagram. And we are also on Spotify. So if you are not really liking the platform that you're listening to our uh, podcast, Check out Spotify. It might work well for you, but make sure you follow us on there, please. Yeah, I, I just, I'll say a brief aside. I uh, My phone was running out of memory because it's a B2, not a B7. And I went to go look at everything inside it. And I was looking at the images. One of my podcast apps, anytime a new show, not ones that I listen to, but anything they recommended, 
it saved the cover art in my phone. So when I went to go import like the photos I had, I got like 300 thumbnails for shows I've never heard of that just showed up. So I was like, oh, well, I've not listened to any of these things, but you clogged up my phone. Thanks. So anyway, I don't know what I did. I don't know if there's a button I pressed where it's like download the internet on my phone, but it's, it's a B2, but you know, it's, it, it, I, I get some oil paste. It'll be fine. Mine's probably the equivalent of B1 right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm well out of my uh, contract for my phone. Oh, so. Me too. Like, I can't, was, so like, I've had this thing oh, like four years now. And like, my wife keeps like saying you should upgrade. I'm like, yeah, but it works. Like I, I don't, I'm not that person that immediately jumps the next year to something. It just, I don't know what it is, but this one I've just hung on to. It's well past its time, but it's what I know. And I'm an old man. So I guess, I guess me and steel Kelly have a lot in common, at least in regards to tech that we hold near, but the wheels are definitely falling off my phone. Yeah, I, I'm probably about ready to take mine into the backyard and shoot it. So <laughs> it, it's kind of sad. So right. I, I'm sorry. Uh, in advance, I'm sorry for the uh, the quality of our show sometimes because I'm the lacking of this too. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm on my phone and uh, hope to be someday back in studio with my buddy, Paul. Uh, yeah, but well- for now... You're this using, is what we're, you're we're using a flip with. phone. You have your North Coast PCS data plan from 10 years ago. I get it. You know, so, you know, you have your, your cricket phone or whatever it is, you know, it's a burner I'm phone. I'm using my minutes. Yeah. You're using your minutes. Everybody, you don't realize that Terry has to buy a phone card every episode. You don't even know. All right. So no. All right. Uh, next week, um, here we're getting, it's getting into a big one here, everybody. We're getting some Matheson, but this is one that's been on my radar forever. It is nightmare at 20,000 feet. Uh, this is a big one. We we're going to get some Shatner in here. We're going to get a wing Walker. Uh, we're going to have a special guest. Uh, it's my, uh, it's my friend Richard that I went to college with who, uh, who he is a published writer, does music, all this cool stuff. He is a, he's a math head like us. This is going to be a lot of fun, but um, so in order for me to not trip over what this episode is about, uh, we're going to let, uh, Serling talk about it. And now Mr. Serling on the twilight zone. Next comes more exciting work from the typewriter of Richard Matheson. Our show is called nightmare at 20,000 feet. William Shatner and Christine white share performing honors in an aircraft, but it's the kind of flight none of us have ever experienced. And I might add, I hope none of us ever will nightmare at 20,000 feet next time out on the twilight zone. This is a big one. It's going to be a lot of fun. I cannot, I cannot wait to get to it. And I, I glad that you had talked about William Tuttle because he does the makeup in this episode as well. So he makes Shatner look like Shatner. Is that, no, I'm joking, but I, I, right. So yeah, well, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of trivia because this is one of uh, the iconic episodes of the twilight zone. And I, again, we're going to have a lot of fun. So that's next week. Hope you enjoyed our discussion about steel. Uh, and um, the meantime, just protect your left because you don't have much protection there and you just gotta, you just gotta be careful. Watch your guard. needs work, you know that.
The trigger springs in his left arm has been rewired so many times it's just about had it. He's got no protection on that side. The eye lens is cracked. The leg cables are worn. He got no tension. Even his gyros are off. A robot 